Life Audio. I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. In John 16, 12, Jesus stated, There is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the Spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I'm excited to have Pastor Russ Ramsey with me as we have a conversation around the birth of Jesus and some things that he's noticed in scripture that I think will be deeply encouraging to you as well. But before we get started in that conversation, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Russ is a pastor and an author who lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has written several books, including the Retelling the Story series, which features the book, The Advent of the Lamb of God, which is what we're going to be focusing on today with the Advent season and the meditation that we did in the previous podcast, which was on Luke chapter two, verses seven through 11. Russ's personal mission is to communicate the truths of scripture in an accessible way to people. I'm really excited to talk to you today, Russ. Thank you for making space to talk about the Advent story and help us learn the truth of scripture, maybe a little bit new and accessible way today. And so thanks. Thanks for making space for us. Thanks thanks for reaching out to me. I love talking about this subject in this book. I would love to know, why don't you tell us just a little bit more about who you are? That was a very brief bio. We'd like to get to know you. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, uh, I was raised in the Midwest. I'm an Indiana boy and um, uh, met my wife in college and we've been married uh, almost, well, we've been married 28 years. We have five children <clears throat> and, um, and, uh, yeah, we live in Nashville, uh, really Franklin, uh, Tennessee, but it's a, just South of Nashville. And I've been pastoring a church here that we started about four years ago as a site of Christ Presbyterian church. So that's what we do. I, I write books and I'm a local church pastor and we're pretty nestled into the community here, which we really love. Nashville's a pretty special place with a lot of uh, creative people, and um, and so it's been a really a really fun place to to raise our family and <clears throat> do ministry. And yeah, you are in a really beautiful part of the country, and uh, I have some friends that live in Franklin, so we'll have to compare notes after. Maybe some of them go to your church. That would be fun. <laughs> um, well, so we're 
kind of here at the end of the Advent season, when this releases, Christmas is really just a few days away from us. And, you know, we get really consumed with the busyness of the season, especially in these last few days. And so I'd love for you to maybe even just kick us off with some advice from a pastoral perspective about how we maybe can just take a moment to pause and slow down and reclaim the wonder mm-hmm. of this season. So what what would you say for us? It's interesting. Christmas uh, falls on a Sunday this year, you know, and so um, so people will be waking up on, on the Lord's Day um, on Christmas morning. And I think, you know, um, as a, as a pastor, you might expect me to say this, but I, I would encourage people to go to church, uh, on Christmas morning as a, as a way of, of, um, I think, I think when you, when you have a holiday like Christmas where, or, or this whole season with Thanksgiving and everything, uh, it can feel a lot like life is just kind of happening to you, uh, and you're just kind of holding on and, and uh, just trying to get through it. And there are things that, uh, that we can do along the way to kind of intentionally uh, engage with the, the meaning of what's happening. And, uh, and when Christmas falls on a Sunday, for me, one of the things that, that I, I love about that is that it's, it complicates people's traditions, right? That if your tradition is to um, wake up at a certain time and open presents or make a breakfast casserole or whatever it is, <laughs> um, any other day of the week, you can do it kind of the same every year. Um, but then you have a decision to make on a Sunday. And that is, um, what's the, what's the order of the priority of the day is, is the priority of the day that it's Christmas or that it's the Sabbath. Mm. Um, and I'm not a strict Sabbatarian, you know, like, but I think, I think part of, part of honoring a holiday, a major holiday like Christmas is remembering that, that, that what the birth of Christ gives us is, um, access to the throne of grace. Mm. And one of the ways that we um, engage with that gift is by gathering together as the people of God in corporate worship. And uh, so that's one thing I would, I would recommend is, is if you're, if your church is holding services on Easter or I mean on Christmas morning, um, I can promise you that more often than not, they're very scaled back services that probably don't take as long uh, because everybody's in the mood to you know get on get on with the holiday. But right. uh, but it's a good it's a good way of practicing the rhythm of of what it means to be a follower of Jesus mm-hmm. in the context of the body of Christ. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love I love the thought that it disrupts our traditions, and sometimes we need to be disrupted a little bit because it makes us a little yeah. more thoughtful about what we're doing instead of yeah. just it being another day. Now it's mm-hmm. Christmas and it's Sunday, and that can actually be a really beautiful um, convergence of the two days. So thanks. That's mm-hmm. a really great exhortation. You know, one of the things that I love in your retelling the story series is how you explore the narrative arc of scripture and you retell the biblical story in a way that helps us engage our hearts through our imagination. And I'm a huge fan of that. Um, one of the things that we do on our podcast is we practice Lectio Divina, but we also do a practice called imaginative prayer, just really inviting people to slow down and enter into the narrative of the story and just let it come to life in their imagination, which is basically what you're doing in your book. And so I want to know what first kind of captured your imagination and attention and made you want to write the story down in this way. Well, uh, so. I have a a really high view of scripture and the idea of writing a novelized version of the Bible isn't very appealing to me. 
um, you know, of, of making up characters or adding drama or anything like that. That's not what I, what I set out to do. As a pastor, one of the things that I, I observe about this generation is that we're a pretty biblically illiterate generation. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean that most people have not read the Bible. Um, and, and so, it, and there are certain challenges for people who are starting to read the Bible for the first time that if you start in the book of Genesis, you're, you're going to, Genesis is going to trick you into thinking it's a story uh, all the way through. And then you're going to get into Exodus and they're going to build furniture, you know, and they're going to make a tent, a tent, and then they're going to describe it three times, you know? And, um, and so what I wanted to do was I wanted to draw heavily from the actual content of scripture, but thread together the narrative part. Um, so, so that we, so that you could see the arc. And so what I, what I did with the whole series, it's three books is uh, basically the narrative arc of scripture from Eden to Rome was kind of the goal. And so this Advent book is uh, Eden through the nativity story, it's 25 chapters so that people could read a chapter a day in December as a, uh, as a devotional habit um, and then the second book is called The Passion of the King of Glory, and it's 40 chapters, which is a nod to Lent. You mm, could read mm. a chapter a day during Lent, uh, and it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So it's a synthesis of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the third book is uh, called the, uh, the Mission of the Body of Christ, and it's 31 chapters, kind of symbolic of, of ordinary time, um, if you follow a liturgical calendar. And, and uh, so it's a month. Uh, pick a month, any month, you know, and it, and it's it's a um, basically from the ascension, the, the resurrection and ascension on through the the rest of the book of Acts, and so uh, so what I, that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to try to tell the story um, in a storyteller's voice, uh, drawing attention to details that are there on the page of Scripture in a way that would help make the connections between you know what does Moses have to do with David and David have to do with Jesus and Jesus have to do with Paul. Um, and, uh, and so that was part of the fun of it for me was really restricting myself to, um, I need to be able to, to justify on the page of scripture, the parts of the story that I'm writing. So I'm not making anything up. Um, I'm even the conversations that I, cause it's in a storyteller's voice, even the conversations that I include imitate pretty closely um, the conversations that you see on the page page of scripture. So that's that's what I was trying to do is I was wanting to create a biblical literacy tool, a, a help uh, for people who want to understand what what is the story of the Bible. Um, and and uh, this was an attempt to say, well, well, it's this, you know, this is the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all pointing to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and uh and uh, the, the the first book, writing through the Old Testament, was a great opportunity for me to kind of focus on how the entire Old Testament is pointing to the need for the birth of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so it's all kind of driving driving to that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because I, I appreciate that you have a high view of Scripture. I absolutely 100% affirm that. I do too, but and hopefully all of the listeners do as well. But I saw that as I was reading your book, for sure. Uh, it nothing is outside of the biblical text. You are imagining some of the color in there, mm-hmm. which I also love and yeah. bringing that to life, but you're threading it together yeah. in such a beautiful way, because like you said, yeah, then we get to this section where we're making furniture and that can actually be distracting to us yeah. from 
what where it's pointing and what the bigger story is. And it's it, there's a lot of fascinating details in studying things like that um, that even reveal the heart of God to us. But when we're looking at that narrative arc of scripture, they it can it can actually throw us off course. And so I like that you helped us kind of move through that. We're going to pause here to hear a quick word from our sponsors, and then Russ and I will be back to continue our conversation about why it's so important for us to engage our imagination when we read scripture. And we're also going to talk about why shepherds had such an ironic job. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. When you approach scripture, I, I believe that we, to read scripture rightly is to read scripture with an engaged imagination um, because it calls for it. it. The Bible is written in thrift. Like it's not, yeah. it wasn't written at a time when <clears throat> you could go to FedEx and Kinko's and buy reams of paper and explore all the rabbit trails. And so there's an efficiency to what got written down because the resources on which things were written were pretty precious. And so, so, so there's a lot of things in scripture where details are given to us. And then it's our responsibility as a, as a responsible reader to supply the information that that detail provides to flesh out the rest of the story. Um, And so like one example of that is uh, we're told really nothing about Joseph's experience when Jesus was born, right? That we, we, we learn about Mary and, and the inn and no room there and the manger, but, but Joseph's there. And, but I'm a, I'm a father and I've been in the delivery room when four of my five children were born, our fifth was adopted and I wasn't there for that, but, but, uh, but I've been in the room. I know what a father experiences when a child is being born. And though scripture doesn't tell us how Joseph felt, it tells us he was there. And so it's, it's a reasonable exploration of the text to imagine the helplessness that mm. he felt mm. and, and the, the, the hope that he felt and the, and the fear that he must have felt, you know, and, and, and the, uh, 
and the and the love and the affection, you know. And so those are the things where scripture is written to people. Like it's 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 written to us as human beings who have emotional selves and we and we have you know and so part of understanding the stories that we're given is to is to supply within reason um what we can infer about the experiences that people would have there and and uh that one is an interesting one for me because uh, because he's he's such a he's such a uh a, sha- a shadow figure in the, in the text. Like we really don't know a lot about him and he just kind of goes away at a certain point and we're not really told why. And, and, uh, and yet here's this person who was there for it all, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, anyway, I, I, that's one of my, that's one of the things I think is that as we read the Bible, it, we do well to have our imaginations engaged in saying, I wonder what that was like. Yeah. And, you know, to hold it loosely, um, but also to say, there are things that are kind of common to the human experience um, that this little detail has now un- opened. It's kind of opened this, this uh, stream of of thought mm-hmm. that I can mm-hmm. now sort of explore and wonder about. Yeah. Oh, I, it's all the way through. Yeah. I love that. And I, I like how you even talked about how it it is written very compressed and it was very economized. Mm-hmm. The words are very economized. I mean, sometimes it's so frustrating. You're like, I want more. What it really, what happened there? Mm-hmm. And we just get a few words. We get we get enough. I mean, God has given us everything we need, and yet yeah. it it won't it be fun. I always just imagine, won't it be fun when we get to actually have conversations with these people in heaven, and and hear mm-hmm. the whole story, the rest of the story, and all the backstory and all the surrounding stories, and because uh, we'll have eternity to do it, so that'll be delightful. But <laughs> um, I'm curious as you were unpacking this very familiar story that, you know, no doubt you'd studied in school and you've probably preached on many, many times and you start kind of working through it in this way. What are some things that the Lord drew your attention to with the birth of Jesus? Maybe some new things or some things that just really outside of Joseph. I mean, that was, that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. one as well, but are there other aspects of this story that just really captured you in a new way? Yeah, I I love the um Luke's gospel is the one that has the most narrative devoted to this two two chapters. Um I was really drawn to uh the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist's parents. You know, that that their story is told in a way that that is so intriguing to me, especially the priest because he doesn't the Lord appears to him and tells him that he's going to have a son who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he doubts it. And the Lord takes away his voice, um, but doesn't take away his, his role. Mm. And so he's a silent priest now. Like he's, he has no voice, but he's a cleric in the community. And it's not until John is born that he speaks again. And the next thing he says is his name is John, because that's what the the angel of the Lord told him to name him. And and I'm I'm so like moved by that story for for because I feel like when we read about Mary and Joseph, we're reading about the uh, parents or step parents, depending on how you know of of the Messiah. Um, but when you read about Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're us right they're the ones who are who are a step away from the messiah you know they they're they're the ones who are who are being asked 
to believe that after all this time, that God is finally bringing the Messiah that they've been wondering about and waiting for and praying for and feeling the absence of as Rome occupies the land and that sort of thing for so long that, that it's, it's a, um, there are times in all of our lives where we're asked to believe in something, hopefully, where Mm -hmm. if it doesn't come to pass, we're going to be so disappointed. And I think one of the ways that we navigate that in this world is we just decide, well, I have a limit to how much I'm going to allow myself to hope. Um, And because I don't think I can bear the disappointment Mm -hmm. and God doesn't deal with people like that. He deals with people by saying, your hope should be in the end of every sad thing. Your Mm -hmm. hope should be in the end of every catastrophe and broken relationship and um, sin inside of yourself and, and injustice in the world. And, and, uh, you know, and the, and the reasons we don't hope for something like that is because we're, we're afraid. What if it doesn't happen? And with Zechariah in particular, he just, the Lord just shuts his mouth. Mm. Um, and it's not in anger, but he just shuts his mouth. And, and I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, he's not in the nativity sets. He's, he's usually not in the, the children's plays, nope. but he's there. He's there big time yeah. in, in the gospel account as somebody who has to go through this process of just sort of confessing his belief. Um, and and uh, the 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 older I get, the more that seems to happen mm-hmm. in my own life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. where I get kind of brought to a point where I either have to, I either need the Lord to silence me or for me to confess my belief and. Uh, Anyway, that that's one yeah. for, for sure. Oh, for yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, there's so many things I want to say about that, but I want to hear <laughs> you talk more. I would love to know. Uh, so we ta- we meditated on this short passage, and I want to just read it for us real quick because you bring something out in your book that I want you to talk about. So the passage is, Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is a passage we're so familiar with. It is like the iconic passage. And so one of the things that I love is you bring to life the role of the shepherds. And one of the things that you say in your book is that the life of a shepherd was actually ironic. And I want you to unpack that a little bit for us because that was so helpful for me just in seeing this in a little bit of a new way this very familiar story. So, yeah. So the shepherd's job was to tend to livestock and the act of performing that job made them ceremonially unclean, but the livestock, this is why their lives were ironic is, but their job was to tend to the livestock that would be used as sacrifices to the Lord for the purification of the people of God. And in the process of tending to that, they were then 
unable to participate in that process because they were unclean Hmm. because they were watching the lambs that would be used as the sacrifice to atone for the people. And so, and so their very lives were a sacrifice, right? They, they, and, and, and so they didn't participate in the religious world uh, in the ways that other people did. Hmm. And in any culture, when you don't, when it, when there's a dominant sort of spiritual ritual and there's a group of people that don't participate, you wonder about them and you, you, they become suspect and you think, you know, you almost, you could begin to regard them as, as godless. And then they could begin to regard themselves as um, in a thankless world. Right. And, mm. and there's this kind of perpetuating of a gap between the, the unclean shepherds on the hill and the religious people um you know, benefiting from the work of their hands. And, and so they're, they're, they're there out watching their flocks by night as people who are just kind of on the fringe of society anyway. And when the angel of the Lord appears, he doesn't appear to the religious people. He doesn't appear to the wealthy people. He doesn't appear to the ones who have been really faithful at reading their Bibles and showing up at church, he appears to the shepherds. Mm. And what the angel says to them is unto you has been born a savior and you will know him because you will find him in your own unclean world. And it's just mind boggling because we read that and we think, we can we can really easily just kind of regard the shepherds as you know the the nice the nice old men that live down the street and do this but no they they were they were that the savior would be born unto anyone people would think well he'd be born unto the religious leaders or he'd be born unto uh the the wealthy or the powerful or the influential or the uh you know but to be he's born unto them and the proof mm-hmm. that he's for them is that He's born in this way that is into their very world mm-hmm. um, and not the world of the inn and not the world of the, you know, the subdivision or whatever, but, but, you know, that he's born to them in that way. And then they have this encounter where the, the, there's it, what's happening celestially with the shepherds is, is also just wonderful to me because there's one angel that announces the message And then it says, and suddenly a host appears Mm -hmm. singing glory to God in the highest. And it kind of takes my breath away because what we're seeing with the angels in that story is they understand the magnitude of what the one angel has just said Mm -hmm. to the point that they can't contain their wonder and awe and joy. And as soon as they're able, they come rushing out from behind some celestial corner in this chorus of praise that history has been waiting for but the message is delivered to the shepherds mm-hmm. and it's it's just such a a beautiful picture of the way the ministry of Jesus would go mm-hmm. uh that he was he was always um caring for and making himself available to those on the fringe and to those uh who got kind of caught in the switches of of this um, uh, ceremonial culture. And, um, and they go and they, when they find him, they find him just as the angel said 
in their world. And it's just, it's so much gospel in that, in that picture and in the intentionality of God to make it happen that way uh, is just, is just beautiful. It is that he would come to those on the margins. And I think that that's just the heart of God. And one of the things that you bring out in that is that that is who Jesus is and that's who we are. We are all perhaps the people on the margins that he had to come for. Even those who thought they were living in the inn, even those who thought they were the religious leaders, what he does is he tears it all down and says, no, you actually were all on the margins. You all needed me. And by going to the shepherds, the unlikely ones who've been out there doing this hard work, outcast, unclean, it's, it really is. It's just, it's such a beautiful, mm-hmm. hopeful detail in the story of God. Yeah. yeah. And such a central part of the way Luke tells it. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. then, and then that Jesus is then placed in, in the place where lambs are born, not humans uh-huh. are born. Uh, well, what a foreshadowing of the cross, right? They're, they're seeing, they're seeing the Christ being laid in a, in a place where lambs are kept and the lambs were used, right? They had a purpose and it was a sacrificial mm-hmm. one. And, and it was an ongoing perpetual, you know, there was no end in sight to, to the, to the, the sacrifice um, until then. That's such a great uh, and, detail. Cause I think we forget that that lambs were used for that. So everyone knew that is what a lamb is for. A lamb is for a sacrifice. And they weren't the cute white cuddly creatures, you know, you know, skipping along the hills. They mm-hmm. were being bred for sacrifice. And so when Jesus is there, it is such a a symbolic gesture that honestly, I'd not ever seen it that way before. And that just is so helpful. It just ties right back into the cross, which happens during during Passover, which is the the great slaughter of the lambs. You know that they 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 uh, I forget. Um, I, I wrote this in one of one of the chapters, but I forget what it is. But it's thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs that, that would be slaughtered oh, in yeah. Jerusalem, um, a river of blood. You know, uh, for to to celebrate um, God's deliverance of of His people mm-hmm. from captivity and tyranny. Uh, and and it was their high holy day that 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 God would would do this, and that Jesus went to the cross during Passover um, as a lamb uh, is a is a is a callback to the way that he was born and the purpose for which he was born, uh, which I think is another thing um, to remember. Uh, which may get back to the very first question you asked: is what's a way that we can kind of prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas? Is to is to really look at Christmas through the lens of Easter. Um, that when we celebrate Christmas, mm. we're not just celebrating the birth of a baby. We're, we're celebrating the birth of a baby who came to do something. And what we're really celebrating is what he came to do um, and what he came to do and what that would mean for us uh, in our relationship with God. Anybody can celebrate the birth of a baby, but at Christmas, we're celebrating the one who was born for the sake of mm. taking the sins of the world upon himself and reconciling us to God through his life and his death and his resurrection. And so we celebrate the birth of a baby who came for the purpose of laying down his life that we might not die. And um, it's, it's a, 
it, 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 it's a holy season indeed. <laughs> and that's so helpful to help just slow down and don't read the story as if you already know what it is, mm-hmm. but let it linger a little bit, let it unfold and let it come to life in a new way so that we can see Jesus again and again mm-hmm. and again, because that's what we need to do. We should, I, I do. I think sometimes we just get caught up and it feels normal and it is so not normal what he has done for us. And so, yeah, just all the things that you're sharing are super helpful. And that's for, with the book. That's really what the first 17 chapters are the old Testament story. Um, and that's kind of the central theme of that whole f- first part is, is that it's driving hard toward w- we have a problem um, and we try as we might, mm-hmm. cannot solve our own problem. And God will have to intervene in some way to reconcile us to him. Um, and that's, that's, that was the intentional thread that I tried to pull when I was writing the, the first 17 chapters was, was that by the time the birth of Christ happens, we've established just how great the need was for this and only this. Um, there was no, there was no mm-hmm. other way. Well, that is a very good word to end on today. I think this is the only way. And he has done that for us. So my prayer as we kind of wrap up this Advent season is that we have just maybe slowed down and contemplated it in a new way. Well, Russ, it has been so fun to talk to you today. Thank you for helping us see some new things in God's word. And I do want to encourage you all The Advent of the Lamb of God is on InterVarsity Press's website, and they are giving us 30% off of it and free shipping for the next two weeks. So you can, there's a code in uh, the show notes. So grab that and you can get the book. Even though we're kind of rounding the corner on Advent, it is still a story we need to tell ourselves over and over and over again. So I do want to thank you, Russ, for just your faithfulness and doing this work that God has clearly called you to. Thank you. It's this is this has been a, a real joy for me. Well, I'm glad. Me too. I want to take a quick second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership. And if you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They have shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and even this one on scripture meditation. And as always, I want to thank you for joining me on so much more because we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us and we are creating space to listen. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.